Listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we always bring you the deeper discussion about the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with the amazing Jeff Simmons. Obviously, you can hear my voices in pretty rough shape today, so Jeff is going to do most of the talking. Take it away, Jeff. Celeste, I am speechless that you are almost speechless. That never happens. So, uh, folks, we're going to move around the next show. Celeste speaks the entire time, and I just say hello. But lots going on in the news this week. And first of all, Celeste, I hope you feel better soon. I'm glad that you still put today's show together because it's a very important topic. Uh, before we get to our first guest, I just want to uh, make a point of just noting that there's been so much going on in the news. As always, there's so much we can, you know, try to digest to synthesize for you and hit on a few topics. But what I personally have been following this week has been the growing tension between the New York City Mayor Eric Adams and members of the New York City Council. So much friction that two of the uh, the criminal justice measures that the mayor had vetoed that the council adopted but adopted passed by a majority vote last year the council this week even by a greater number of of members supporting it passed and that will eventually ban solitary confinement at our city's jail system at Rikers, as well as another measure that's going to require NYPD officers to document much greater numbers of interactions with the people that they stop on our streets. Now, this may or may not be over. It didn't seem likely that the mayor was going to challenge these in court, but you never know because he's doing that in another case regarding housing and I believe rental vouchers. Still, there's a lot of uh, pushback as well that's going on with the looming budget cuts to the city's budget. That's another thing that Celeste and I are going to be looking at, and also I'll be exploring that on my other show here on BAI on Sundays, because we're seeing uh, how these cuts are going to be impacting a number of services and programs that many of us here in New York City have gotten used to. Uh, we're going to be seeing cuts to arts and cultural organizations as well to a number of nonprofits. So these are the things we'll be looking at. And uh, one other thing I just want to note that we may be having the school's chancellor back on our show next week. Uh, his folks wanted to get him on today, but he's up in Albany. And the reason he's in Albany is because mayoral control over city school system is up for renewal. That's been a debate among state lawmakers. Uh, this same cycle happens every few years. We've wanted to talk to the chancellor about this, about what the benefits or the drawbacks have been of mayoral control. Uh, so that's something Celeste and I would like to look into. So this may be our issue next week. With that, let's move on to the topic of the day. Celeste, did you want to just introduce the topic and then I'll take over again? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about what is going on at the New York Daily News and how that factors into the bigger picture of what's going on with American media outlets in general and specifically the people who report for them. So as you may know, staff members of the Daily News walked out a week ago in protest of their working conditions and New York's hometown newspaper is in turmoil. So Jeff and I are both veterans of the Daily News. And if you don't know this, uh, and we worked there back, and I think this is true of you too, Jeff, uh, we worked there when Mort Zuckerman 
and controlled the paper. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there from 2000 to 2015. Jeff, when were when were you there? What years were you there? You know, I was there briefly in the mid 90s. And it's funny because when I ran into Mort Zuckerman at a, a party years later, I explained to him why I left the news. It was because back then, before social media, for instance, I felt so stressed that all my stories that I hoped to break in the daily news were going to be on TV at 11 o'clock. So I moved over to TV so I could break the stories more quickly, Celeste. Well, that's something that we've all dealt with in print media uh, for a long time. And and look, yeah, that's that's a tough feeling. I hear that. But if you think back, if you look at the daily news of today, that's one thing. But if you look back, uh, you know, the daily news was founded in 1919. It's over 100 years old. And it was founded by Joseph Medill Patterson. Now, Patterson died in, I think, 1946. And by that time, the daily news had a Sunday circulation of on a really astounding 4.5 million copies. It was the biggest newspaper in the United States. Now, a lot, Jeff, has really changed. And it's interesting. I'm thinking of the newspaper that I was at prior to coming to New York, the Bergen Record, also known as the Record of Hackensack. And I watched that paper also get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer over the years, too. I'm still, just for our listeners, I'm still a subscriber to the New York Daily News. I want our our guests to know that as well. I read it every single day. It is a much smaller paper, much thinner paper. Uh, But uh, as Celeste noted, I had uh, she had been there. I had been there. Uh, We had different experiences as far as uh, our work. Uh, our work uh, process and everything. Uh, so uh, with that, let's just move ahead. Let's get to our first guest because a lot is going on. And again, this is part of a much bigger crisis that's affecting media outlets across our country. Let's move right ahead to our first guest. And uh, we've got on now Claudia Irizaria Ponte. Now she is with The City, the online news outlet. We've often brought on guests from The City here because they do such fantastic reporting. Claudia covers labor and work issues for The City. Her reporting on exploitation and working conditions of app-based food delivery people, that resulted in landmark reforms. And she received the James Beard Award in 2000, uh, in 2022 and the Edward R. Murrow Award in 2021, among other honors. We're really glad to have her here today to discuss what she's learned about what's going on at the Daily News. Claudia, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me. So glad to be here. So we asked you to help us figure out what is going on at the Daily News because of your overall labor reporting and specifically because of a piece you wrote about the news walkout that took place last week. So first of all, set the scene for us very broadly before we get into specifics. What was the walkout about? The walkout last week, it was a 24-hour walkout, was about a very narrow particular issue. What it really boiled um, down to was overtime. Um, management was cutting back on overtime, making reporters requests, file approval before working after hours, which is pretty much impossible in the news business. Obviously, we don't work regular nine-to-five hours. It just makes reporting extraordinarily difficult. Um, the union says that management in making these changes was improper, improperly messing with the status quo of the workplace and the newsroom while they're still bargaining for a contract, um, which is also essentially what this whole situation, it gets at the heart of this whole situation, which is the fact that the union has been bargaining for a contract for the last two years and they're still waiting. 
So, Claudia, thanks so much for joining us. And I'm going to try to limit my questions so nobody has to listen to to this uh, circus of a voice I have today. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about what's happened with the Daily News and what's happened with other newspapers as well because of Alden Global Capital. What can you tell us about who they are and what they've done at the news and other newspapers around this country? Well, Alden Global Capital is a New York-based hedge fund. Um, it purchased the New York Daily News um, in 2021, which is the same year that the newsroom unionized. And they are notorious for hallowing out newsrooms. Um, they, they lay off staff. They slash budgets. Um, they're also one of the largest um, newspaper um, um, owners in the country. They own the Chicago Tribune, the Denver Post, who are actually also um, the Chicago Tribune on strike today, along with six other properties of Alden Global Capital, for a lot of the same reasons that the Daily News newsroom was on strike last week. You know, I have to just jump in here because I'm also thinking of my experience when I was a much, much younger uh, journalist starting out and we were capped with our hours. You're only supposed to be up at 17, but they kind of looked, this is not at the Daily News, they looked the other way when we went way beyond the 17 hours because, you know, we were still giving them news coverage. One of the issues you pointed out in your story, which I found really astounding and logistically uh, challenging would be that staffers would have to get approval in advance of any overtime. But you can't always predict when you're going to be working overtime. Talk a little about that and what you heard from reporters about the, the problems that they're experiencing. That's exactly right. I mean, one of the reporters I spoke to on the picket line last week pointed out the example of the um, building collapse in the Bronx earlier um, last month in early January. I mean, that was an, an incident. I mean, miraculously, no one died or was seriously injured, but it happened at the end of the day during the evening commute. I mean, if you're supposed to clock out at five at five in the afternoon, how are you supposed to cover that? How are you supposed to get prior approval? or coverage of an emergency breaking situation. It's just something that just doesn't make any sort of sense in the news business and that reporters in the newsroom have really struggled with. And it's just compounding on a lot of issues that have happened over the last couple of years at the Daily News. I mean, as you mentioned previously, um, as Celeste mentioned previously, it was a newsroom that had like 4,000 people um, at some point. It's been whittled down to 54 reporters currently. They don't have a newsroom. They're working completely remotely and in silos since 2020. So it's just, you know, issue on top of issue. And what really shown through on the picket line last week is that they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Claudia, I want to ask you, uh, before we get into some more specifics about the National Labor Relations Board's uh, involvement in this, I'd, I'm not asking you to look into a crystal ball, but, you know, as an observer of what's going on with labor at newspapers across the country, different publications, are you hearing that this is some sort of a precursor to uh, further dwindling of the, the daily news in scope, possibly even going out of print publication, going completely digital? What, what are you kind of hearing on this? It's incredibly like difficult to tell. Um, unfortunately, what's happening at the Daily News, it's happening in local newspapers all across this country. Many of them owned, as I mentioned earlier, by Alden Global Capital um, itself. Um, the case that the, that the Daily News Union filed um, in the National Labor Relations Board um, against management 
with regards to overtime is still pending. Um, the crux of that complaint, as I mentioned earlier, is which is known as an unfair labor practice, loosely speaking, employers can unilaterally change the terms of employment for unionized employees while in the middle of negotiating a contract. That means they can't cut salaries, they can't lay people off, all while they're in the middle of bargaining a first contract for a newly unionized workplace. So the union argues that by messing with their overtime, the daily news management is improperly breaking on those agreements, which is, you know, longstanding precedent in the National Labor Relations Board. Fortunately, a lot of labor laws in this country really lack the teeth to really force um, management to recognize unions, to negotiate in good faith, and to sign contracts. So it really remains to be seen what will happen here. Um, the Chicago Tribune, which, as I mentioned earlier, is on also participating in a walkout today, also owned by Alden Global Capital, has been negotiating their first um, contract for the last five years. So this is not going to be easy, um, and it's not a battle that is unfortunately going to go away anytime soon, it looks like. And if you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and also streaming live at WBAI.org. We're talking about the labor situation at the Daily News, and our guest right now is Claudia Irizarry Aponte of the nonprofit news outlet, The City. So it's interesting because one of the questions that Celeste and I, you know, had thought about was about the support that members of the Daily News staffers have been getting from, I'll say air quotes, but you can't see that right now, of celebrities. And what I'm thinking about, you know, is some of what I've seen about celebrities showing up to, to show their support. Can you talk a little about that and who has shown up uh, to show their support? Uh, yes. Uh, Alec Baldwin made a cameo at the picket line last week. Um, there was a Daily News reporter, uh, Michael Sheridan, who um, was on the city's FAQ NYC podcast last week, who said that it would be amazing if Alec Baldwin came to support and showed up in solidarity at the picket line. Um, to this listener in particular, it sounded like a comment that he made in jest, but nonetheless, the word got out to Alec Baldwin and he made it to the picket line. Um, I mean, he's a celebrity who is notorious for cursing out tabloid reporters and photographers, and the Daily News is no exception, but it looks like he put his own differences aside for the day to really show up in solidarity mm. for the union and spread the word um, as to what's going on. So, Claudia, there's, I want to talk more about the people in the union, because I think sometimes we talk about the unions, you know, as, as an organization, and we, and we don't talk enough about the fact that these are actual people who make up the union. But um, I also want to ask you just, first of all, maybe this is sort of a, a you know, self-referential question, but when I was at the news, and I think when Jeff was at the news, it was always a big sort of rivalry with the Post in particular. We were competing against the Times, the Post, television, everybody, but there was a particular feeling that we had about the New York Post. And I think we also felt at the time, because uh, Murdoch and News Corp, mm -hmm. that they had sort of unlimited money. I'm just wondering, what do you see right now in sort of the competitive nature of the relationship between the Daily News and the New York Post, given what is happening with this labor dispute? I mean, I don't think that um, hunger is going away anytime soon. There was actually one of the signs that um, the union members were holding at the picket line last week, kind of tongue-in-cheek, um, read, save the Daily News, what are you going to read? The Post. Um, 
And um, <laughs> again, speaking with people there um, last week, you know, they're still, I mean, that's part of the reason why they are, you know, uniting in this moment and really raising their voice. You know, they really, you, you know, the Daily News has been winnowed down so much, and yet that, that, that has not stopped reporters from going out day in, day out, breaking stories. And what they really want is the resources is to be able to make that sustainable for their own lives and for the health of the newspaper and, frankly, for the health of the city. And what's so interesting, Claudia, is, you know, what I've heard from reporters as well is that they're working in already sparse newsrooms. I think of the Daily News, a completely unrelated uh, exchange I had with an editor yesterday uh, because one of my staffers had shown up there with something and he's like, I'm the only one in the whole office. And, you know, and so I had to leave my desk to go down to the front door to see your person. I'm the only one here, which seems astounding to me because I'm so used to the vitality, the vibrancy of newsrooms. But staffers are saying they're already working in these sparse newsrooms and that Alden is is essentially searching for new ways to cut even deeper to the bone. Uh, you know, what do you think this says about the bigger picture? What's going on across our country with, you know, the newspapers that many of us have grown up with? Is it really something that builds on what Celeste said? Are we building, shifting more and more towards digital? Yeah, I mean, the, the Daily News technically doesn't even have a newsroom. They've been working without a newsroom since 2020, working remotely. Of course, those who work out of Room 9 in City Hall or down there day in and day out, in the shack for those who cover law enforcement or who cover the courts are able to cover um, and, and work out of the, the city's courts. But as for everyone else, you know, they're completely siloed. Um, there was a lot of frustration that I heard from the picket line last week about that particular issue. Um, eventually, Alden relented and allowed them to use a small co-working space in Times Square, but that can only accommodate five to six people at a time. And it's just more difficult to collaborate in a newsroom when, like, everyone is completely siloed. Um, and just as far as what that says for the health of, of the newsroom, I mean, just because you're working in digital media doesn't mean that you should um, be working completely in silos with all of your other coworkers. A lot of that collaboration is really important, but it's really not having a newsroom is really more symbolic of, again, just the complete gutting of these newspapers under the ownership of Alden Global Capital. I mean, there was a big article in The Atlantic about three years ago that called it the newspaper killer. Um, and just ridding a newsroom of its actual physical newsroom is about as literal as you can get um, with this situation. And tell us, tell us a little more just about the people that you spoke with. You know, they said sort of, you know, how this is affecting their lives. I mean, if there's, you know, I understand that people are not there to just spike their income with overtime, but in terms of how they're sort of coping with this, and we will hear from Michael Sheridan, by the way, uh, in the second half of the program. But, you know, you've talked to a wide range of people. You were physically there at the walkout. I'm curious, you know, what did they tell you? And also, did they seem to be getting support? Do people care what happens to the Daily News and the people who work there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of the overtime, it's two things. It's one that it just makes it very difficult to report. I mean, news breaks overnight, news breaks um, in unexpected moments early in the morning, before dawn and after dark. It's just impossible to be asking reporters to be um, to request overtime in advance when they don't know what might happen in the future. 
But then, of course, you know, there's only 54 reporters covering a city of, you know, more than 8 million people. You know, people are being worked to the bone. You know, there's a sense that, like, you know, we're working overtime out of a sense of commitment to this newspaper, um, but also we shouldn't have to. It's about it's not just about the newspaper and the quality of the reporting, which is always excellent, even throughout all these challenges, but also the quality, their own quality of life. So, uh, you know, I know we only have about two or so minutes left, Claudia. You have done so many great stories on labor issues. What are the other stories that you're following or that we should be paying attention to in, you know, in the involving unions and labor in New York City, things that we should pay attention to? You know, I write a lot about gig work, especially um, app-based food delivery workers. Um, I write a lot about healthcare workers who have really um, experienced kind of like a flourish in, in organizing um, and really in the labor movement since COVID. It's been very interesting to witness um, and to be able to cover um, in this day and age. And then I'm also always interested in organizing and labor with regards to immigration, um, day laborers, construction workers, occupational hazards faced by these extremely vulnerable workers, um, bad bosses, and, you know, the toothless labor laws that allows bad bosses to get away with it. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to have you back to talk about more labor stories because, uh, unfortunately, there's always uh, they're always in the news. Uh, Claudia, uh, before we let you go, please tell our listeners where they should go if they want to find out more about you and the work for and your work uh, for the city. Yeah, they can read us um, at thecity.nyc. We are online. We don't have a paywall. So we please ask that you become a member if you can and chip in a monthly donation if you can. Again, the website is thecity.nyc. Free to read for everybody. Claudia, I want to thank you so much for appearing here with me and the virtually speechless Celeste Katz-Marston today. Really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much. That was our talk with Claudia Irizarry Aponte of the nonprofit news outlet, The City. If you have not heard of The City, I'd be surprised because if you're a regular listener of WBAI's Driving Forces because we love to invite their reporters on. It is an amazing outlet. They set the tone for a lot of the coverage in The City. They've got fantastic reporters. So I'm encouraging you all to check out The City online. You're going to see some amazing coverage there. If you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York and also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and joined by my amazing, uh, amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston today. Uh, remember, Celeste and I want to bring you programs like this and talk about these topics because, you know, we want to have these conversations about what really matters to New Yorkers. And if you are a New Yorker, if you're a longtime New Yorker, you know the daily news. You, you probably still, like me, love that, the feel of a hard copy of a newspaper in your hands, even if you read digital as well all day. But remember, Celeste and I and everyone here at the station can't do these things alone. We need your help. We need you to step up. Please remember, it only takes a minute to support the kind of free speech, independent radio that we bring you here on WBAI and on Driving Forces every week, because this is your station. Remember, we rely on your contributions. We don't rely on contributions from Alden or from corporate America. We don't get the funds from head, you know, we don't get uh, financing from hedge funds. We get 
funding from you. You're the folks who keep us on the air. So we're keeping, we're counting on you to keep WBAI on the air. So please take a few moments and do your part. Go to WBAI.org today to stand up for free speech radio. That's WBAI.org. And remember, if you don't want to give a one-time contribution, but you want to feel good throughout the entire year, but not worry about going and making a contribution every single month, you can set up a system like the way I do. I am what's known as a WBAI buddy, a BAI buddy. I set it up on my credit card, so every month the station gets a contribution from me. Most people give 15 or 20 bucks. You can give more. If, you, if you're strapped for cash, you want to give a little less, like give up one cup of coffee a month or two cups, give up those Starbucks that are just like five fifty or whatever it is right now and give it to WBAI. Set it up on your credit card to become a BAI buddy. You just head to the website at WBAI.org, click on the green button, or if you really want to talk to someone instead and set it up that way, we have you covered. You just have to call 212-209-2950. Again, that number is 212 212- 209-2950. It's that simple. With just one visit to our website or one phone call, you can support independent media in New York. And remember, your contributions are tax deductible. I know we say that a lot. Celeste always makes a point of reminding you near the end of the year. Well, throughout the year, your contributions can be tax deductible. So you're doing something good for yourself your fellow New Yorkers, and for your tax bill. That might be on your mind right now as you're doing your taxes. Write it on your calendar. Remember to do that this year as well. You could swing the 10 or $15 a month, but maybe you could budget for $20 a month. So this is Free Speech Radio. We've been around for more than 60 years, the voice of Real New York. Please do your part. Our next guest is Michael Sheridan. He is a New York Emmy Award-winning producer who first started working at the Daily News as a copy boy back in 1993. Over, over the last 17 years at the newspaper, he's been a reporter, a national news editor, head of the video department, and photo editor. With that, let's bring him on. Michael Sheridan, welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces. Thank you for having me. So we just spoke with Claudia uh, Irizaria Ponte from the city about her coverage of the walkout for the city last week. But tell us, as someone who's been on the front lines, what this, this has been like for you. Uh, I mean, it's been frustrating, difficult, and unnerving at times. Um, I mean, it, you know, there's always been a certain sense of, of stability. Given the history of the Downey News, I feel like there's been a history of stability, and, and you understood what the end goal was. You know, you kind of had a, a clear understanding of what you were doing and why you were doing it, and I feel a lot of that has been lost because everything is uncertain and unclear, not just because the landscape of the news business and especially newspapers is unclear, but just exactly what is going on at the Daily News and what they're trying to accomplish remains unclear. Hey, Michael, I appreciate you joining us today. Sorry again about my voice here, but I doing the best I can. But, you know, maybe talk about this. And I think, you know, Jeff knows this. I know this is, you know, we both spent um, a considerable amount of time at the news. I was there for about 15 and a half years. And I did have that sense that the daily news was there for the people of New York. Like if you had a problem, you could call up the daily news. If you were being mistreated or ripped off or nobody was listening to you, the daily news 
would care and would come out there and try to help you? Do you feel like those are the kinds of things that are different now? Or what has really changed about the way the daily news functions under these conditions? I think I think the the idea that the Daily News is still there for the people of the city of New York and still cares is very much true because the the reporters uh, and the people who work there all care. I mean, even the editors all care about the city and they care about the Daily News. The issue becomes a question of does people in the management positions and people who are running the the newspaper who own it. Um, in, in Alden, do they care? I don't know about that. I, I'm, that's where everything becomes muddy and unclear. And as a result of some of the decisions they make, it impacts the ability of the people who are doing the jobs, who are creating the stories, um, that, 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 that make them, that make up the newspaper, uh, difficult for them to do, to do their jobs. And I think that's where the disconnect is. And it's, and it's sad to see because, you know, the Daily News is a great newspaper and it's, it means something and newspapers mean something and local news matters. And I wish the people who were in charge or who owned the place actually cared about that. You know, Michael, I, as you're speaking, I'm also reflecting on what my experiences were like working at the Post, the News and back at the Record. Uh, you know, at a daily newspaper. I loved it. I thrived in it. I love that environment. But I also, you know, through my, this is much earlier, but I w- witnessed the changes. I went through in one of my newspapers, a round of layoffs, which was very, you know, uh, stressful for everyone. And I know what those situations can be like, especially as newspapers start to downsize. But I'm really curious about like how since Alden took over, how your daily life as a reporter at the Daily News has changed. Give us some examples, because I'd love for our listeners to then better understand, oh, wait, now I can completely see I might not have tolerated this. Well, I think part of it is, and, and it's a lot of what's going on with the reason that we walked out, uh, you know, which was, which was really hanging on the idea of the overtime, but it's this concept of kind of nickel and diming every element of, of a person's doing their trying to do their job. You know, the reporters care about what they're supposed to be covering, whether it's transit, whether it's city hall, whether it's crime, they care. And they'll do their job as long as they need to do it to make sure that the city is getting covered and they're writing the stories um, and they care about that. But then when they start bringing in this idea of, of you can't do overtime or you, you have to get prior approval, which anybody who works in the news business knows that's, insane to think that you know you're going to have to do overtime because you don't know what's going to happen in the city. Then they're unable to do what they care about. And that's really like the big, the big shift when, when it comes to um, how the, the paper feels now. It just feels as if uh, there's, there's more to emphasis on looking at the budgets and paying attention to every nickel and dime instead of What's the best thing for the newspaper in terms of coverage? And how do we better serve the city as a newspaper and a news organization? Because we're not just a newspaper. We're a website as well. But as a news organization, how do we best cover the city? That should be priority over as much as money matters. You know, when you're talking about small little amounts, it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be that way. 
You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We're talking about the labor situation at the New York Daily News. Our guest right now is Michael Sheridan. He's a 17-year veteran of the paper. Sheridan, you made it two years longer than I did so far, and you're still going. Pretty, pretty impressed with you, man. You got it in your blood, that's for sure. Um, I'm just thinking back to my time at the news, and I think that one of the things that the news was known for and was great for and made it great was that the idea that if something big was happening, we were always really, really able to flood the zone, that you could throw people at this thing and they would go at it and they would stay on it. Do you feel like you're able to provide still that kind of coverage or are you being sort of actively prohibited from doing that or are people doing it? sort of, you know, on a volunteer basis, almost once the, the clock runs out on, on their ability to actually get paid for all that work? Well, you know, I, 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 I want to say that I believe that the dedicated people who, who cover the city at the Daily News can continue to do their job no matter what. That being said, there's only so much a handful of people are capable of doing. You know, the, the, the paper itself, is, the staff is maybe a half, if not a quarter of the size it was back in the day. Um, and they're even, they're, they're, the decisions made by the company are baffling in, in the sense of how you, you, have a, you have a staff that's about 50 some odd people or, uh, of reporters or union members anyway, and then they're the ones covering the city, and it's, it's unclear how there's, there's the expectation that they're going to continue to do coverage of the city like they did 10, 20, 30 years ago without the resources, without the manpower, and it's completely unrealistic. And part of that is, you know, there's a weird decision. Like an example of a weird decision is we have holidays, right? Normally, people work holidays. You know, especially when you're first starting at the Daily News, you're working holidays. It's an expectation, but suddenly now they want to move people off holidays just so they don't have to pay them holiday pay. And then you end up with a skeleton crew of people working on Martin Luther King Day or any other kind of holiday coming up. Imagine what happened again. It's those kinds of weird decisions that the company makes that I think are sacrificing the ability of the reporters to do their jobs. And at the same time, the result of that is sacrificing thorough coverage that and excellent coverage that the news has been known for for generations, that you're losing that ability because there are fewer reporters, you're held to much more uh, restrictive standards. Are you were you seeing prior to the walkout where people starting to say, you know what, I'm trying not to curse here, uh, whatever it uh, you know, I'm not going to go ahead. They don't want me to, uh, they're not going to give me approval on overtime. Then why should I go even further and, and cover this? Because at the same time, if you're a journalist and you're a great journalist, you want to cover that story. You don't want to say my shift is over. I'm leaving. I mean, how tough has this been for a lot of people when they have to make those decisions? Do I still cover the story or do I step aside? Because I know that the company that, you know, I'm working for, doesn't really care about me. You know what? It's easy for people to, it's, it would be easy for them to, to any of the reporters to go and say, you know what, F it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother with it. They're not going to let me have the overtime and I'm not going to do it. I've never heard anybody say that. Even after this overtime stuff happened, they're still not saying it because they still care. 
they care about what they're doing. And I think the, the, the belief in what they're doing and caring about their doing has never wavered. I think there's, there's a frustration to, um, the way in which they care about it, but there's a lot of feeling that there's the company and some people in management who don't feel the same way. And that's where the frustration comes from. I mean, that's where, like, this is the general disconnect. You know, I mean, we don't have a newsroom, and it's easy for everybody to kind of get siloed off into their own little places, and there's no sense of, I don't want to say, I guess, community or a, a unity. Like, like, the whole staff is in it together. It, it that, That's very hard to accomplish under the circumstances, and I think, because we don't have a newsroom, but also I just feel like that sense of, of, of a team of everybody kind of working together to accomplish a, a singular goal doesn't exist. And that's, 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 a, that's unfortunate. And that's an unfortunate uh, result of the way, um, the different, uh, the reporters and everybody are being treated by the company. We're talking to Michael Sheridan of the New York Daily News Union. And Sheridan, you know, this is a hard question for me to ask personally, having spent so much of my career at the Daily News. But you know what? New York has a long and complicated media history, and some newspapers have gone away. I mean, everybody can remember or has read about when there used to be like 10 different newspapers in the city of New York. But some of those papers, you know, the the Journal American or the Mirror or the Herald Tribune, whatever it was, just aren't with us anymore. I mean, do you worry about a time when the Daily News won't be with us anymore? And how close do you think we might be to that right now? Well, um, you know, the, the the Daily News is the paper that's always mattered to me. My dad wrote for it for more than 20 years. Um, it, it's a it's a place that my, my, my sister-in-law even worked there for a period of time. I mean, it's been a family place. Um, and the Daily News itself has meant a lot to me as, as a result of that. Um, do I, do I think the daily news will continue on? I don't, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't, I think the, the problem with newspapers, and it's not just the daily news, it's newspapers in general, has been a, has been a problem for the, at least the last 30 years. Digital completely upended everything. And I think what a lot of people outside of the business tend to not understand is that the ability to make money has become far, far more difficult. You know, when you had print advertising, you had plenty of money coming in because it was really the only way to advertise outside of going on TV. But now that doesn't exist anymore. The web changed all that. And then after the web started changing all that, then what, Google, Facebook, all those those places sucked up all the digital revenue that uh, smaller websites could make. And it gives very little options for 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 especially newspapers to find ways of making profit, right? There's the things like the New York Times and the Washington Post, but I feel like those are very different things. And I'm not saying that their product or the, the stories they cover are like Target and Walmart, but they're like the Target and Walmart of the newspaper business because they're very diversified. You know, they, they do a lot of different things. They have a lot of different revenue streams. And newspapers, for the most part struggle to do that you know the daily news was has been trying various different ways of transitioning from the print to digital um i you know i was when i first started when i came back 
17 years ago, I was part of the web team when they were developing the website. And there was a, a very big transition. And it, it didn't, doesn't all necessarily all work out the way we want it to. And do I think print is going to go away? No. I don't think print is going to go away. But I think the revenue streams for newspapers are very limited. And it is a very difficult process to do. To be fair to anybody who owns newspapers, it is very difficult to make money because the revenue streams are very limited. And I and I, I kind of understand some of the crimping and, and cutting. I, I get it. As, as much as I don't like it, I understand it. And I think in time, those things will probably, there are a lot more newspapers will go away or they'll go all digital. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because what's really important is the news coverage they offer. That's what matters more than anything. The format it comes in isn't as important. As much as it's nice to have a book or read a newspaper, you know, it's the words that matter, it's the stories that matter, and it's the ability to produce those things. How newspapers are going to figure out a way to become more profitable in the future that I don't know. You know nobody really knows. No one's been able to quite crack that nut. Um, and I, but I, I'd like to believe that something like the Daily News will never really go away, but it'll evolve into something that can be sustainable. That's what I would like to see. And I'm going to let Jeff ask you the last question, Michael Sheridan, but I do just want to mention here that when I first came to the Daily News in uh, 2000, the spring of 2000, one of the first people I worked with was your father. And I certainly do remember him and, and what a big figure he was to me at the Daily News. And I think that for a lot of people who read the paper, I think the Daily News has been kind of a family institution. It's been a tradition to, to have it in the house to get your news that way to, you know, to read the sports or the, you know, the features or the entertainment or the politics. I hope they read the politics because that was what I was doing. But I just want to say that, you know, I think that certainly I know that the daily news has been a tradition for you and your family. And I think it might be that way for a lot of other families as well. You know, and Celeste, you bring that up about your political coverage. I felt you were one of the people who set the the tone and set the agenda for uh, shifting over a lot to digital with the blog that you covered uh, all the goings on uh, at City Hall, which I was in government at that point and following everything you did. Uh, Michael, before we let you go, please let our listeners know if they want to find out more about you and your work, where they should go. Um, you can find me most places as Sheridan Writer. Sheridan, S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N, writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. Uh, I'm on there on Twitter, although I'm not on Twitter all that often. I am uh, Twitter and uh, 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 whatever that other one is, uh, Threads. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, there's Thread, there's X. I keep saying Twitter. I know. It's X these days. Michael, it's, it's th- Michael Sheridan, thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Forces. Uh, I, we really appreciate you doing this. We'll keep following this issue as well and, and bring updates to our listeners on our subsequent shows. Michael Sheridan, thanks again for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI today. Thank you for having me.
And if you just tuned in, that was Michael Sheridan of the New York Daily News here on Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York and also streaming live at WBAI.org. Uh, we're always thrilled to bring you great reporters like Claudia and Michael. They, they give us real insight into important topics like the ones we're talking about today, the people who bring us the news and the working conditions that they do it under. We're going to open up the phone lines in just a moment so we now can hear from you. But before that, once again, a reminder that Celeste and I bring you these guests on these issues. We can do this because we have your support, but we can't do it if we don't have your support. So please take a few moments and go to WBAI.org to support this station and this show today. It only takes a second and it really does matter. You can give any amount you choose. It's tax deductible. Even better, go to WBAI.org. Click on that green button on the website, and you can become a BAI buddy in the name of this show, Driving Forces, and you can sustain this program by making a recurring monthly donation. You could do it in any amount that you choose. Most people get 15 or 20 bucks because we need your help. We need it today. That is WBAI.org, and thank you. And now it's time to hear from you. So give us a call, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Get in on this conversation. What do you think of what's going on at the Daily News? What do you think about what's going on in media? Do you care if your newspapers disappear? What do you, do you see yourself in these labor conversations? 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We'll be right back with your calls. You are listening to WBAI New York. Government had an idea and Parliament made it law. Seems like it's illegal to fight for the union anymore. And which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Lines, but together we cannot vow. We got stamped by police at the county line. They said, Go on, boys, or you're going to jail. And which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you Daddy won't go back So the family suffer But it hurts me more To hear a scab say Sod you jack Which side are you on boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on boys? Which side are you on? Follow my 
my conscience and I'll do whatever I can. But it'll take much more than a union law to knock the fight out of a working man. And which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? And that was Billy Bragg's Which Side Are You On? If you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York, also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by Celeste Katz-Marston. We're going to be able to take a few of those calls. Let's go to the first caller that we have on. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Roger. Yes, Hi, Roger. Can you speak up just a bit? Yes. I promise not to yell at Celeste anymore. (laughs) Thank you, Roger. I think we missed you last week. You know, I heard that. Hey, I want to know if you got a dog yet, uh, Jeff. Any dogs? Ah, no. No. Tough topic. Tough topic, Roger. But thank you for asking. On the issue of the media, the issue of the media, I think they let us down. It's not like uh, the Washington Post Watergate days. Uh, We had so many things going on. Uh, the weapons of mass destruction, uh, fabrication, uh, Libya, uh, what's going on with, with Israel and Gaza, uh, Ukraine. I really think that the hard-hitting stuff is in the alternate media now. It seems like uh, the traditional media has gone very corporate. And I know they lost their advertising base, uh, and that's hurting the people that work there, and I feel for them. But by the same token, I feel they let us down. Roger, quick question. What are the media outlets you read? Yes. Oh, uh, what are the media outlets you know, that are providing the news that you think, you know, you want to see in the traditional outlets that, you know, that we, you're probably, uh, maybe you're close in age to me. I'm almost going to be 60 soon that, you know, I grew up with the Bergen record, the local paper, the daily news, the New York Post, the New York Times. Yeah. What, what are the ones you follow? Well, you know, I'll, I'll follow Amy Goodman, uh, Gary Null, uh, some of the BBC stuff, um, some of the alternate uh, blogs that I'll, I'll follow. But again, you know, the New York Times has gotten like, uh, to me, it's an organ of the, uh, the establishment, it's an organ of the mm-hmm. administration. Sorry, right. that's just the way I feel. And it's, it's a shame, really. Well, thank you, Roger. Thank you for giving us your insight on this. I appreciate you calling in. I do thank you for asking me about my dogs. Uh, eventually, I'll make sure I have a big announcement if uh, if I go down that route once again. It's been a, a tough past year, but thank you for that. Uh, let's get to the next call. I know we have another caller on the line and only a few minutes left. Welcome to WBAI. You are on Driving Forces. What's your name and where are you calling from? Do we still have that person on the line? Oh, we lost him. Okay, we lost the other person there. That means Celeste has to fill the next four minutes here without me saying anything. But anyway, Celeste, any little comment you want to make before I start to wrap up the show? I'm just glad that we had a chance to talk about this because I think that, you know, we've read a lot recently, Jeff, and I know you you track these things as well, about how Americans have lost a lot of trust in the media. I think that sort of speaks to some of the things that Roger just said. But I think that people are also saying, though, that much the way they may not trust government, but they may trust their individual member of Congress. I think people may not trust the media at large for a lot of different reasons, but they do trust their sources of local media. And so I think that reporters like um, 
Claudia Irzaria Ponte and um, Michael Sheridan, um, respectively, of the city, which is a wonderful nonprofit local news organization that you should check out. And Michael Sheridan, who spent 17 years at the Daily News, you know, covering local issues. Um, I, I think that these people really have something to say and something to show about the difference between sort of this faceless, even corporate national media and local news outlets that actually get in touch with and face and listen to the people that they write about and for. And I would say that also includes WBAI. So I hope that people can at least draw a difference between sort of, you know, this sort of generic untrustworthy media and the people that they actually know and interact with and who care about them and their communities, Jeff. You know, and, and just to point out, I do agree because I've heard that from a number of people, how often they say they trust their local newspapers, their, their hard copy newspapers that they pick up. There's vending boxes near me here in Jackson Heights that it's interesting. They get filled on Thursdays. That's normally, I guess, the day a lot of the Queens locals put out their papers. And within like a day or two, they're all gone. Uh, and, and people, when I ask them how they heard about something, they're often telling me, oh, it wasn't the Queen's Courier or the Queen's Chronicle you know, or the Queen's Examiner. They're getting a lot of news from their local paper. So there's that trust. At the same time, we're fortunate, or at least I'm fortunate here in Queens. I have all the, this variety of papers, but across the country, we have seen a number of papers fold. A lot of local journalists, you know, journalism outlets have folded. I mean, also remember, and Celeste, you and I have talked about this. What the, what's the outlet that First broke the George Santos story. It was a local newspaper. You know, the Times was very late to the game in that. It was after he was elected. But the Times, the local newspaper out on Long Island had broken that story. So that is going to be almost our program for today. So we want to thank our special guests, Claudia Irzaia Ponte of the city and Michael Sheridan of the New York Daily News Union. We want to thank our engineer, Reggie Johnson. And of course, we always want to thank you, our listeners and our supporters. Jeff, what do we have coming up? Uh, well, I'm going to be back here on Sunday morning, bright and early. With City Watch at 8 a.m., my co-host Carlos Menchaca and I are going to be talking with New York City Council member Chi Osei, who recently chaired the Council's Cultural Affairs Committee, but was removed from that post amid the shakeup in a lot of leadership posts within the City Council. But we're going to be talking about culture and the city's budget. And then we're going to be joined by Coco Killingsworth. She's the chair of the city's Cultural Institutions Group, which recently sent a letter to the mayor and his administration urging them to reconsider the millions of dollars in proposed cuts to their organizations and strongly recommending that investments at this time are needed, not cuts. And by the way, she's also the Chief Experience and Impact Officer at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, so we'll talk a little about that too. And then Celeste and I, we're going to be back here next Thursday. Can't say yet who we invited. We have invited the Chancellor, but we're going to hold off on full, formally announcing that. You'll have to check the WBAI website next Monday. We'll be able to announce if we've got the Chancellor and our other guests on that day. If you missed any part of today's program, you can find Driving Forces on Apple, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio.